Praise the Lord. So we've been doing a series on the parables of Jesus. Uh, there was a set of parables in Matthew 13, and it's also in Mark chapter 4. And I just want to summarize it today, and then next week we move on to the next part of Jesus' life. And <clears throat> the reason I want to summarize it is because Jesus told all of these parables at one time in one place. And there's some benefit for us at looking at all of them in one time. Because often we pick a little part of the Bible and we study it and that's good to do. But when you realize that the people who heard Jesus speak heard all of these parables in one place and one time, it helps us to get an overview. So that's what I want to do today. I want to read the parables that he told at this one time using Matthew 13 and Mark chapter 4. I'm going to read them to you. Are you ready? It says, On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Great multitudes were gathered together to him. So he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some, some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, a hundred, sixty, thirtyfold. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So that was the first one. Just imagine the scene. Sower, sowing seed, four soils, different responses, different results. Even in the good soil, there's different responses. A variety of, of reactions to the Word of God. The Word is good, the seed is good, but the response is different depending on the soil of the person hearing. So that's the first parable. Second one, Mark chapter 4, 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Second parable, again, sowing seed. This time the farmer is asleep and it just grows by itself. He doesn't even know how, but there's different responses. Sometimes the blade, sometimes the grain, the full grain, sometimes part of the grain, different responses. And then a time comes where he puts the sickle and he cuts all the grain down. You got it? First, second, lodged in. What's similar about them? Okay, good. Moving on. Third one. Matthew 13, 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while, while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares or, we, or weeds among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? He said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you should also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Third parable. Similar, isn't it? A lot of similarities. Seeds, wheat, growing. Different responses, evil weeds growing up. Not just different responses of, of growth, but now there's weeds as well. 
And again, this idea of wait till the end, the harvest, where we're going to cut it all down and, and sort it all out. Right. <coughs> Next parable. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, tiny seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in his branches. James did a great sermon on that one. Another seed idea. Growth. Big. Okay. Imagine you were a person there sitting listening to these parables. And they're just coming out, one after the other. What are you thinking? What's going through your mind? Let's move on. Another parable, parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. What's leaven? It's yeast. And it's a picture throughout the Bible of sin. In the Old Testament, they were told to eat a meal without leaven because it's a picture of sin. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a lady who's making bread and she puts some yeast in and she's kneading the dough and the whole thing gets full of the leaven. And the bread grows because, you know, three portions of bread, of, of dough, when, when it's cooked, makes enough to feed 100 people. So that's a lot of dough. So there's great expansion, but at the same time, the leaven is growing with it. Wow, what was that all about? Another parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind. Which, when it was full, they drew to shore, and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. He's talking about fish. So a, a net is thrown into the sea. It gathers up all sorts of fish. Again, diversity. It's not just bream or grouper or tuna. It's all different varieties of fish. And some of those fish are good, but just different. Some are big, some are small, some are colorful, some have funny lips that pout out, some have spines on their back, and some are bad fish which you can't eat. And it says, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and separate the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. What are we to do with this? Why did I tell you all of those parables at once? Because it's good to stand back and say, Jesus, what were you saying when you said all of these things at one time? Why? What were you trying to tell me? What are the common themes that run through all of those parables? And is there a progression from one parable to the next, to the next, to the next? What were you saying? But the first question, which is the question the disciples asked, is why use parables anyway? It says... All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Uh, sorry, not prophet Isaiah. It's actually Psalm 78. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. So then in verse 10 it says, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Why do you think the disciples asked that question? Because they knew, they probably had friends, they had relatives, they had people in the crowd they knew who, who didn't get it. <laughs> Do 
Jesus was speaking and, and he would take the disciples aside and he would explain the parable to them. He said, the seed is the word and the birds are the devil and the, this is this soil and this is that. And he would explain to them. But the disciples said, why don't you explain that to everyone? My auntie Edna was in the crowd. She didn't get it. She just thought it was a story about farming. Jesus answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see. This is, the, this is crucial now, the next couple of sentences. Because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. <clears throat> and then the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will, not, you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Another version says calloused. Another version says hard. The hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. Was Jesus saying he didn't want them to understand? No. Was Jesus saying he didn't want to heal them? No. He was saying something so important for you and me, my friends. He was saying their hearts had become hard, calloused, dull. He wanted to heal them, but the way to heal a hard heart is not to hit harder on it. <laughs> That's what he was saying. He was saying their hearts had become hard. What does that mean? They didn't want to know about God's things. They were so preoccupied in their own lives, their own things. Oh, I've heard that stuff before. Don't tell me morality. Don't tell me what to... I don't want to know about it. Their hearts had become callous. They weren't sensitive, soft, listening for God's voice. They were hard hearts. And Jesus says something so important. He says, the answer for a hard heart is not to just bash them harder. Because you make the heart harder. Is that true? Yes, it's true. How many of us have had children and they get a bit miffed with us as parents? And so we try to come down harder on them. What does it do? It turns them away from us, doesn't it? Jesus said, the answer to a hard heart is to put a little bit of bait on a hook. To give them a story where there's a hint that there's something deeper in there. And get them to unlock their heart from the inside. <laughs> get them to say, I want to know more about this. Let me soften my own heart rather than God trying to soften my heart. This is so important because how many times have we prayed, God, please would you save my Uncle Billy who's got such a hard heart. Please, God, would you change his mind? Would you change his heart? Would you sort him out and make him a Christian and make him repent? And God says, I will never change a person's hard heart. They have to change it from the inside. I will just present truth and life to them and let them seek it out. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search out a matter, Proverbs says. God puts it in such a way that he wants us to look. I love that. I think it's fantastic. And I think there's a lot of application for us as Christians. I think we should stop bashing people over the head with the gospel. 
I think we put it out there in a loving, truthful, honest way, but we don't bend and twist and force people's arms to become Christian. Have you ever seen those people? They, they just pressurize a person so much that eventually the person says, okay, yes, I'll become a Christian, but their heart hasn't changed. That's not a true conversion. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and lets me in, you've got to pull him in. He's not going to bash the door down. Amen? Is that all right? Are you getting a picture of how God sees our hard hearts? Now the question, the challenge for you and me, how's my heart? (laughs) How's my heart doing? Here's my heart, Lord. Meanwhile, I'm thinking about lunch, baseball, work, bank account. When God's word is shared like the seed of the sower thrown out, how's my heart? Is it hard? Or is it receptive? God, I must. I want your word. You know the answer to a hard heart is to say, God, here I am. My heart is hard, but I want it to be soft. Please, God, would you help me? God, I want your words. They're so precious. They're important. I need them. Please, would you help me, Lord, to soften my hard heart? Then it all unlocks. Isn't that awesome? Right. (coughs) I'm going to just clarify for you what I believe is the main theme running through these parables. Again and again, he says the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like. He was talking about the kingdom of heaven. And right at the end of this passage, he says this to the disciples. Have you understood these things? They said, yes, Lord. Then he said to them, therefore, every scribe or every teacher instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure new things as well as old. Jesus was saying, the kingdom of heaven, you've learned the Old Testament, you know religion, you know a whole lot of stuff about God from Genesis to Malachi, you know this stuff, but I'm teaching you a new thing. It includes the old, but this new thing, this treasure, is called the teaching about the kingdom of God. Jesus said in another place in the gospel, if I drive out demons by the finger of God or by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come. It says the kingdom of God has only been preached from the days of John the Baptist forward and forceful men lay hold of it. The kingdom of God was a new idea. They'd never heard it. You won't find that phrase kingdom of God in the Old Testament. It says God is the king. But the kingdom of God, when God comes in and he sorts things out, that's a new idea. And the Jews were ready for it. They were saying, God, we need your kingdom because the world's a mess. Evil Assyrians and Babylonians and Romans are invading us and oppressing us. Life is hard. There's sickness. There's divorce. There's earthquakes. There's problems. There's hunger. There's terrible things happening. God, we need you, the king, to come and sort out the world. That's the kingdom of God. That's what it's all about. The kingdom of God means there's a new boss. You know, sometimes you see a restaurant and it says under new management. And that's supposed to make you think, oh, I'll go and check that restaurant because the old management didn't really like that restaurant. But maybe these guys have sorted it out. New menu, new waiters, new decor. Wow, better prices. Let's go and check it out. That's the kingdom of God. It's saying God is going to come and sort out the problems. Jesus said... 
I am here to announce and bring the kingdom of God. But then, many people seem to think that the kingdom was going was to come all at once. Listen, this is not in our passage, but I'm just going to read to you Luke 19.11. It says, He spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because the people thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten pieces of money, and said to them, do business till I come. Jesus announced the kingdom of God, but almost all of his parables, and I really, really hope you hear this today. The parables that we've looked at in Matthew 13 and also a whole bunch of parables in Luke 19 and various other places. The consistent theme throughout them was the kingdom of God is here, but it's not completely here. That was the main message of the parables. The word of God comes, but some people receive it, some don't, some have thorns. Some, a mustard tree grows, but there's birds in it, and the leaven in the lump, and the bad fish in the net. And it's here, it's growing, but there's bad mixed in with it. Is that important? Friends, it's hugely important. You know, how many non-Christians I've spoken to who said, I cannot believe in your God because my uncle got cancer, my son died in a car crash. This baby has leukemia. This terrible tragedy has happened. I cannot believe in your God because of all this evil all around me in the world. How could a good king allow bad things to happen? Jesus said, I am a good king. I'm bringing in a good kingdom, but until the end, when the judgment comes, there's going to be mixture of evil, and that's the thing I want you to get through my parables. That is such a big message. It's so important. Jesus devoted almost all of his parables to that one message. <laughs> you see, there's this weird teaching, and I know I'm really treading on very controversial ground here. There was this guy called Calvin, and he said, everything's under God's control. He's pulling the strings. If, if a bad thing happens to you, it's because God made it happen. Or he, the devil asked him permission and then he let him do it. So it's basically God pulling all the strings. And the whole world is just God controlling every little thing and every little person and every event. And it's God, God, God. And we can't understand the mystery, but God's working it out for good. The parables of Jesus prove that's not the case. They went out into the field and there were weeds growing up. The disciples said to Jesus, what are the weeds? He said, those are the sons of the evil one. They said, who did this? They said, an enemy did this. An enemy? How can there be an enemy if God's controlling everything? There can't be enemies. God's the king. The kingdom is here. But until the final judgment day, there is still evil loose in the world. I just pray that we get this. So that when a non-Christian asks us, we say, it's not God's fault. He delegated authority. Listen to this other parable Jesus told. 
There was a certain, this is Matthew 21, 33. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press, built a tower, and he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. And then it says he sent back representatives to the vineyard to try and get rent, and they kept killing them and beating them. Eventually, he sent his son to get the rent, and they killed the son. And at the end of the parable, Jesus says, what will the, vine, the vineyard owner do to those tenants in the end? The consistent story is God has given planet Earth. Jesus has come to set God's kingdom in process. But there's this time period until the final judgment where people still have free will. You can choose to do evil and God won't stop you. The devil is free and doing his stuff. There's evil all around us. There's all sorts of stuff going on. It's not a finely, precisely organized system where God says, I'm organizing everything like I want it. It's kind of like chaos, but grace chaos because God's letting his seed, his word, his life out into the world. And it's growing in amongst the evil. And then a time comes where God says, enough. I'm closing the chapter. I'm going to harvest all the wheat." and the weeds. I'm going to bring in the fish. I'm going to close this thing down. And then there's no more free will. Do you think there's free will if God says to you, right, judgment day, you're not going to the right place. You're going to the other place. Oh, but I don't want to go there. No more free will. You're going. Until then, there's free will. But today there isn't. But on judgment day, there isn't. That's the message. I just think it's fantastic. Because it means freedom for us. It means we're not living in a time where we have to say, God, I, I just, I don't know why this bad stuff's happening, but I know you're in control, and so you must have a greater purpose. And I, I say I love you, but actually I hate you because you killed my auntie from cancer. But actually, you must be good somehow. I'm so confused, and oh, it's a mystery. Oh, well, whatever. We'll see what happens. No, I don't have to live like that. I know what's going on. God's kingdom is growing. There's an enemy And in the meantime, we just spread the word as much as we can. But also, we don't judge before the time. He says the kingdom of heaven is full of bad fish. It's full of weeds. There's different responses. We don't judge. We don't get all high and mighty as Christians and say, we are the church of the perfect Christians. And if anyone comes in here who's not perfect, we judge you. That's not it. It's a time of grace. We accept everyone. We accept everyone. If anyone comes to this church and they are committing the worst, most heinous sin they can think of, I say, welcome, buddy. We're not a perfect group. If anyone wants to do ministry and they say, I want to do ministry, but I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm struggling with this sin. I say, none of us is perfect, buddy. You know, there's this weird teaching that says you have to be perfect to be in ministry. And everyone who promotes that teaching is a liar because they're not perfect. None of us is perfect. Nobody is perfect. There is no clean vessel that God can use on this planet. And yet he uses us anyway. It's a time of grace. It's not a time of perfection. It's not a time of make sure you're just exactly right and you've met all the requirements. No, it's grace. Let the weeds grow up, but let the the good seed grow up even more. Promote the good, promote the good, but don't judge the bad. I know there's some practical questions that arise from that kind of a statement. 
You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, he's, he's talking about a church in Corinth where there was a guy in the church who was sleeping with his father's wife openly. They would come to church kind of arm in arm, you know, and pretend like nothing was wrong. He says to them, don't judge people outside the church. Don't judge them. People outside the church have no judgment for them. And that's a message for us Christians. You know, when the world says we're going to make a law about abortion, euthanasia, whatever the laws are, it's not our job to judge the world. Paul says, do not judge the world, he says. He says, judge those inside the church. But then he explains, it's judge them in a loving way. Not I'm better than you, but my dear friend, you're going the wrong way. You're going to damage your life. You're going, you may even lose your salvation. Please reconsider. It's not a judgment of uh, superiority. It's a judgment of, of humility. And please, please, if you're in our church, please think carefully about this. But we let the weeds grow up with the tears. Does that help? I hope it does. Okay, let me close. In amongst this, Jesus told two parables. He said, two that I haven't read to you. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. If we're living in a time when there's mixture, where there's bad mixed in with good, and churches are full of all sorts of people, and some are good and some are bad, how do I know where I stand? How do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that I'm one of the good seeds, the good wheat, or or a weed? How do I know? I thought coming to church was enough, but now I find out actually church is full of all sorts of different fish. How do I know where I stand? Jesus says, I'll tell you how you know. If you've found the relationship with God that is so precious (laughs) that you've thought, wow, I've found something, a treasure in a field. Nobody else knows about it. I'm going to go and sell everything I have and I'm going to buy this thing. You will know whether you've done that or not. This is a big, big one for us, friends. It's not that you're a member of a church. It's not that you put your hand up in a meeting. It's not that you've been christened, baptized, confirmed, dedicated. It's none of those. It's not a human requirement that says, I'm one of the good ones and they're the bad ones. He says, have you found a treasure that was so precious that you decided, I don't care what anyone else thinks. They don't think this field's worth anything. I'm going to sell everything and I'm going to buy this. He says, if you've done that, you know that you've done it. There's no way you can sell everything and buy a field by mistake. You can't stumble into that. You can't think, oh, well, I can't remember. Did I sell everything and buy that field? If you've found a treasure that you've given everything for, that you've given up it all up, and you said, Lord, I want this. I give everything for this treasure. It's so precious. You will know. No one else will know. It's not my job to know. It's not my job to judge you. I can look at you and say, I think he's bought the field. And then we get to heaven and we realize, oops, I was wrong. And I, oh, maybe. It's just a, I can know for myself, but I can't tell for you. And we shouldn't even try. <laughs> we shouldn't be judging each other. We shouldn't be saying, good fish, bad fish, good fish, bad fish. <laughs> Let them all come in. Promote the good seed. Promote the good word of God. Let it grow as much as it can. Don't judge the bad. 
But for yourself, have I had the courage to sell everything and buy this treasure? (coughs) We're going to close in a minute with some songs, some worship songs. And I'm going to challenge you and ask you to say, where's the kingdom of God, the seed, this treasure that grows into wonderful life? Where's that in your life? Not have you been in a church, not have you been good, not have you attended and tried and been religious. Is that treasure in your heart and have you given your life to God? That's what matters. That's what matters. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for showing us things, new things that we didn't know before. Thank you for challenging our religiousness and our ideas of what it means to be a Christian. And thank you, Lord, for helping us to find the truth. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today that you would help each one of us and me, Lord. Lord, help us not to judge. Help us not to be proud and Lord I pray that you would help us to take this seed, this beautiful word of God into our hearts and let it produce great fruit in us I'm just going to ask while our heads are bowed now for you to consider Consider the words of Jesus and say, have I really taken this seed, this word of God into my heart or have I just been religious? Have I really found the pearl, the treasure of great price and been willing to go against the world and against conventional wisdom to sell everything and buy it? Have I really done that? Have I really made him the king of my life? Or am I maybe in the net, but I'm a bad fish? I thought I was in the net, but actually maybe I'm a bad fish. I'm going to encourage you to pray a prayer with me right now. Just pray with me right now. Say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this treasure of great price. Lord, you know me. You know everything about me. Lord, I understand you died to forgive me. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would come into my heart. Lord, I want to buy this treasure of great price. I want to give my life to you. I ask you to wash my sin change me and make me new and fill me with you, with your Holy Spirit. Make me a brand new person today. Give me a new start. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. 